Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. This is my friend Kelly. She's kind without being flimsy, fierce without being harsh, and wise without being suspicious. In my opinion, she is pure gold. Kelly's here to talk to us today about racial reconciliation. I've never given a talk on racial reconciliation before, and I don't want to pretend like I have. So instead of the normal first segment where you hear from me, we're skipping that and going right to the interview portion that will be a little longer for this episode. Kelly came over to my house a few weeks ago for a visit, and when she did, she begged Seth and I to watch 13th, the documentary on Netflix. We happily agreed. It is a beautiful yet crushing piece of work filled with brilliant people intent on opening our eyes to the economic forces behind racism. Seth and I were deeply moved. I may be a middle-aged white woman born with privilege I didn't earn and far more accustomed to being annoyed than being afraid, but I have not yet grown numb to the awful feeling of helplessness. And I have felt helpless regarding racism in this country. I know so very little, but I do know that we cannot believe in a Christ who confirms our preferences. Because every time I draw a line deep and dark, he is on the other side of it. Every time. So I have to abolish any distinction. I have to discard the idea of other because we are all children of the same God. Brothers, sisters, children. Besides being kind and seeing true equality as a great new adventure and committing to widening my circles, letting everyone know about the documentary 13th and sharing my friend Kelly Bruce Holly with you is all I know to do social justice. It's not a hot new topic made popular by politicians or social media or hashtags. Social justice is a topic that is near and dear to our God. All throughout scripture, we see it. In the Old Testament, there are so many laws and rules about how to treat the vulnerable. God called his people to care for the stranger and the orphans, the widows, the refugees, the foreigners, the poor. The prophets of God confronted kings over it over and over. It is embodied in the life and ministry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We see the values of our God by dissecting the life of Christ. He helped the oppressed and the poor, the illiterate, the abused, the rejected, and the overlooked. He made friends out of those who were broken. Jesus boldly confronted systems of injustice. This is the kingdom of God. As we listen here, we have a decision to make. We have to confront our discomfort. We have to confront our fear of of being criticized or attacked. Ultimately, we have to count the cost. And we have to choose which master we serve. There can only be one. You know? Okay, Kelly, I could talk with you all day, but 
Enough about tattoos. Enough about our tattoos. Enough about what what other ground have we covered? What have we not no, covered we is a more accurate nerd question. Pain, eating disorders, <laughs> um, race relations, sort yeah. of. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is my friend Kelly, and we have been friends for two years. Two years. Two years. Two years. And um, is that all? I know it feels much. Longer. It feels like much longer. It's, um, it's like a lifetime. So you are one of uh, here. Okay. Well, we met because Seth and I were tiptoeing into adoption. <laughs> Bless your heart, yes. Kelly. Y'all were hard work. Yeah. You really were. But it was it was good. It was joyful. So we met when you were doing an adoption from Haiti. Mm-hmm. And I came out and I did your home study. And then, and we've continued to be in touch since then. And obviously you're doing an adoption from China. Yes. Which is very exciting. I immediately wanted to, okay, you know, I've, I, this has happened to me before in professional type situations where, um, and maybe it's, you know, however many encounters in, but with you, it was like five minutes in that I wanted to say, okay, enough of the professional stuff. Can we be friends now? Yes. So, um, I love that you have let me turn you into a friend. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, my favorite thing about you, well, first of all, I had to just, what was happening that was frustrating a second ago is that you're spouting brilliance. And by brilliance, I mean, like, it's it's comedy, it's tragedy, it's drama. It's definitely drama. <laughs> I, am, I am not short of drama ever. That is not a problem. Oh, you're so sneaking funny. You just need cameras on you <laughs> at all times. Um, but my, my one of my very favorite things about you is that it's just this lovely mix of um, humor and depth. And I just, when I say that you need your own show, like I, it, it wouldn't just be funny. It would be thought provoking and deep and, um, with moments of hilarity. And I just want to give you a bigger stage all the yes. time. I, when yes. I am around you, I just, I want to be quiet. I want to just let you go, like wind you up and just let you go. Mm-hmm. I love being in your presence. There's just so much energy. The feeling is definitely mutual. Um, Things, things that I love about, well, just for all of your listeners, if you are ever doing an adoption and you have a social worker come to your house, Allison won my heart because she was one of the first clients that ever offered me a bottle of water and food after driving two hours to get to her house. That is so bizarre. Which is a common courtesy that I feel like Americans have lost me. So Cheese easy. and crackers, and she had these little meats laid out. She had like four different types of lemonade, and I was like, who is this woman? And so <laughs> I was really excited to be at her house, and it was magic. It really, I feel like it was, it was, it was a divine appointment that God mm. set up. Um, I feel like he set me up mm. um, in meeting you and in meeting Seth, who is the kindest, sweetest man in the whole world. And Yeah, I love that you and Seth ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're curious, and mm-hmm. I love that you are, you fight fear mm. in order to grow. Mm. Thank you. That means a that, lot to me. That means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, w- one of the things, I don't, I don't, I've never told you this before, but one of the things that um, I, I knew that, that I liked you, I respected you, I loved the way that you talked and thought, and I wanted to be friends, but I didn't want you to think that I wanted anything from you. You know what I mean? Like, I yes. didn't want you to think that I, 
I needed you for a special kind of perspective because you're black or um, I, I just really want to be in your presence. And I, I wanted you to know that. And it, that seemed um, tricky to say. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kelly, um, I feel like I can say this now yeah. because we've already had our yes. token joke. Yes. But, <laughs> um, but I really, I just feel like I, you know, have space for a black friend. I can really <laughs> use a black friend. So I just didn't want you to think that, that, that it was motivated that way at all. I just love you. I feel like in my life, um, the request that you were afraid of is not a request that would have in any way turned me off because it's a request that I hear on a pretty regular basis. Mm. I went to Baylor University. I lived in England for most of my life. Um, I've lived in Arizona, which is super white and super Mormon. Um, And so being around white people who suddenly realize that they don't have any black friends doesn't bother me. Mm. But that that wouldn't have even offended me because I'm so used to culturally crossing over to both sides and I feel like that's both my gift and my cross um but even if that had been your motivation I wouldn't have been offended by it Hmm. because it would have been you being honest Hmm. thankfully you wanted me for me Mm -hmm. which in and of itself is a rare gift I'm used to having people come to me you know white girls are like I suddenly realized that, like, I don't have anybody that's, like, you know, brown or black. And they whisper black, which I'm like, I can hear you. And then they're like, you know, I just, I don't want to be that person. And I want to be diverse. And I want to be culturally sensitive. And so I'm just wondering if, you know, would you just... And I'm like, I will be your black friend. That's fine. And when you have questions, you can call me. That's fine. And I get phone calls and text messages from random people asking me random stuff. All the time. Because it's better than nothing, right? Yes. I, I mean... You know, it's a, it's, it's it's a, a step. step. It's a step. It's and a so step. It's a step in, in white people realizing that they are insulating themselves in a community that looks just like them, that more than likely makes the same amount of money that they make. Yeah. And so I think it's it's a step in, in this awakening. Yeah. That, oh, I need to have different experiences I need to have people that have different viewpoints in my life and so I'm not precious about how you come to me I just want people to come and it doesn't have to be me go out and find other black people but I think that is what's needed yeah in what we're because people would rather stay in their smallest concentric circle where they're hearing things that they already know and being affirmed about who they already are and Mm -hmm. so there aren't these conflicting experiences or conflicting opinions or uncomfortable situations, comfort is our love language. Yes. And so the yes. way that we can yes. stay the most comfortable is to not be challenged. And so at least those, those people, um, you know, that are looking for, I just have realized I need a black friend, at least they're willing to make themselves uncomfortable. It's got to be yes. something. Yes. Yeah. Stepping outside of those, those boundaries and those circles. Um, so, as a as a Christian, um, unity has. I feel like the Lord started working on me about unity, um, maybe a decade or so ago, um, and I grew up in very um, equally 
um, in very diverse schools. Mm -hmm. It was equal. It would be 30, 30, 30, um, black, Hispanic and white. So, um, I've, I have a lot of black friends and, um, and know a lot of black people. I feel like one of the danger, the opposite end of the spectrum, if you have, um, the white people who are afraid to have the conversation on one end, um, you maybe also have the people, um, who think they know the situation perfectly on the other end. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole variety Mm -hmm. in between. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but what, what I was going to say a second ago is that about 10 years ago, I got really interested in Christian unity and, um, And so, unfortunately, from my white perspective, I feel, for me, um, I feel like our nation kind of exploded racially within the last couple of years. Now, I realize that that's ignorant because um, it's just that everyone has their phones, right? Right. And everyone's recording all this. So so I understand that, that that's through my eyes. But what I realized through my pursuit of Christian unity um, that it has to extend. Um, if, if we're called to unity as believers of God, we are called to be one. That's what sure. he's called us to be is yes. one. Okay. Well that can happen in a lot of different ways that yes. can happen, um, across denominations. It can happen in forgiveness mm-hmm. and it can happen with race relations. So, um, I have started to think more and more about race as a pursuit of holiness. Yes. As a call to be one. Yes. Yeah. And about an extension of God's justice Mm. on the earth, that Mm. the kingdom of God would be established. And what does that actually mean? God is a God of order and God is a God of justice. Mm. And so to see the kingdom, you know, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that and we sing that and we believe that and maybe you even fast for that reality. That means that you must then pursue justice. Mm. There are over a hundred verses that talk about caring for the poor, caring for orphans, caring for widows. And so when you have a church that's built an entire system around an aspect of our lives, mainstream America, Christianity 2017, but that's not what's expressed biblically, I just have an issue with that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, we don't, we don't have an orphan care ministry. We don't care for the widows. We don't have a homeless outreach. We're not going to soup kitchens. We're not getting donations. So do we, do we actually value justice? Mm-hmm. Because I think that it's very much on the forefront of God's heart. Mm. And so race relations, racial reconciliation, forgiveness, unity, I think that those concepts are much bigger and much weightier in the heart of God than what the church has given it credit for being about. And I think that when we get to heaven, I think we'll be very shocked at the scales of justice Mm. when they're extended to us. That's what I would say. Yeah. You know, as as much as I feel called in in my Christian walk to fight for justice and to um, serve the marginalized people and... um, you know, link elbows with brothers and sisters to build his kingdom in his name and for his glory, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to really get some kingdom work done, all of those things. Um, there are things that, that keep us from the conversation. We already talked about being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some other things that keep us from the difficult conversations? Do you think? I have lots of thoughts and I'll try to, (laughs) keep them all together and make it coherent and sane. Or not. Um, one is 
what we were talking about earlier when we went to get coffee is to say that really for white people to enter into this conversation, they have to relinquish um, the natural state of power that they have existed in. So you have to give up your power. You have to allow yourself to be powerless in a conversation where you don't really have a lot of knowledge and you don't really have a lot to bring or to add to the discussion apart from really just listening. And that's hard for white people. I think that's incredibly hard for white people. I think it is really I feel it. Hard. I feel it. As many black friends as I have, you are the only one. And again, this is your gift and your cross, right? Token. Yes. You're the, no! <laughs> You're the only one that I feel comfortable enough to say, will you help me? Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know how... I think it's an ultimate compliment to you, though, because to be a safe landing spot, that is Jesus. Yes. That is, I yes. don't feel like if I were to say to any of my other black friends, I, I'm, I'm thinking, anyways, I don't know what it would be met with if actually I probably underestimate them for number one. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Yes. Did I, I underestimate do. them? Yes. Yes. Uh, I think that, I think... I think that one of the biggest issues right now is that we've got so many different factions and we're divided and we're shouting at each other. Nobody's really listening, number one. Right. But I think the big secret, this is just, this is just me being curious, really, and empathic, is that I feel like when I've talked to a lot of my white friends, everybody's afraid that they're going to be accused of being a racist or a bigot. And so in this fear of being accused, mm-hmm. white people shut down the conversation rather yeah. than listening. Right. I think that to have a conversation and to get over the barriers, it takes a certain level of humility. Yeah. But from the other side, don't you think tolerance to you make a mis- you can make a mistake oh, with me. You can absolutely make a mistake. And here's And the deal. I'll help you. Because because you Yes, I, I 110% agree. I'm probably a very emotionally safe person in this conversation with, right? Mm-hmm. I work really hard to make myself emotionally safe so that mm-hmm. I can have these conversations with mm-hmm. people. It's important. But you approaching me and coming to me and saying, will you help me? That signifies a certain level of humility mm-hmm. and a certain level of openness mm-hmm. and vulnerability that you come to me with. Mm-hmm. It's like bearing your neck at a predator. It's like mm. you saying, okay, I'm not top dog. Mm. I'm not alpha. I'm going to lower myself mm. and present myself to you. Wow. Now, I could snap at you. Some of your other black friends could snap at you. Mm-hmm. But I think that to come with humility and empathy, to come raising your hand and saying, but I need you to help me, mm-hmm. that's not going to be met with, Get away from me. I don't want to talk to you. How dare you approach me? I'm going to wag my finger at you and do the little neck thing. Because you're being honest. Yeah. Because. So, but the, and that's what vulnerability is, right? right. It's where, it's it Vulnerability disarms. is showing a soft spot and trusting you're not going right. to punch me there. It disarms, the. I think, the anger and the aggression that black people feel. Mm-hmm. You know, and James Baldwin says that to be black and to be conscious in this country is to be enraged Mm. at all times. Mm. So it disarms that rage. That doesn't mean that, like, you know, like, white people sometimes, like, get on this bandwagon and y'all think that you're woke and you're not really woke. You just kind of want to be a part of, enough of a part of the resistance so that your guilt is kind of massaged Uh, and wiped away. But you're not really, you're not really helping 
with a revolution. You're right. not really trying right. to disarm the systems. You just kind of want to wear like the t-shirt and like, okay. you know, I'm going to name my kid Marley and I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to buy Michael Jackson's albums and like, you know, I'm going to watch Scandal and that's as close to being woke as you're going to get. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, so we don't really need, we don't need like, we don't need like white groupies uh-huh. to be a part of what's happening. Uh-huh. We need white allies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We need An white activist. people. Yes. That are going to be a part of revolutionizing yes. these yes. systemic institutional systems of oppression. Because I, I'm passionate about unity, yep. which has brought me here. And I do not think that unity is something that happens in spite of diversity. Oh, you know what? We don't really agree on this or on that, or we see things differently here or there. But you know what? Let's put those things aside and let's yeah yes and let's and let's hold hands for this moment, right? And then go back to our corners, okay? Um, what I think is more important or more useful is that unity isn't something that happens. In spite of diversity, it's something that happens because of diversity. And now, as a working body, we are stronger because of what we bring to the table, because of how you see that and how I see this. And working together um, with all of that, all of our differences, and then contributing to a better functioning body that make you more equipped and can take it to deeper levels of maturity. Yes, yes. Um, And that's the dream and that's the goal, but to get there... There's a long road of work that has to happen. Mm-hmm. And so white people have to be willing to learn and to sit in some pretty uncomfortable, horrific places. I mean, we were yeah. talking about we were talking about some of my health problems earlier and we were talking about like I I totally believe in like big pharma is trying to kill black people <laughs> and you know, like there's I mean, and I don't just mean black people. I feel like big pharmacies trying to kill everybody. And so there's all these drugs and all these antibiotics and all this medicine that's out there. And I'm just trying to go back to like my roots and figure out like, okay, what plants can I eat? Like, where can I get the aloe vera gel from the aloe vera plant? Like, I don't want to get it all bottled up and stuff at Walmart. I just want to get the actual stuff and have like the essential oils and just, like, that's where I'm going to start because I know that they're trying to kill us. But here's the deal, right? Like, we, there are things that have happened in, quote-unquote, American history, and white people don't want to learn about it because it's painful. Yeah. So you don't want to talk about Tuskegee Institute yeah. testing. You don't right. want to talk about Henrietta Lack. You don't want right. to talk about these things that are happening right. and have happened. Yeah. And it's the stuff of nightmares because when you think about the history of slavery, oppression, lynching, the terrorism that went on in this country towards people of color. I'm not just talking about black people. You said earlier, you know, to be black and conscious is to, to be, be enraged, enraged all the um, time. To be human and conscious yes. is to be enraged because yes. shouldn't I mean, don't we belong to each other? Yes. <laughs> One thing that I as I've tried to become an ally, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I've noticed um is far as resistance is you know what I grew up this way I worked hard I woke up at this time every morning and I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and I didn't have indoor plumbing and on and on and on and um and it keeps because they have had to work hard I'm not negating that they've yes. you know had a rocky road I'm, I'm sure that that's true but what I realize is that they start um 
comparing oppression or they've yes. they've started comparing yes. degrees yes. Um, of difficulties. Sentiment. But as yes. they do that, what I've noticed is that what they're talking about is poverty. They're not talking about race. Yes. So yes. for some reason, they're comfortable talking about poverty because that's something they've experienced. Yes. That's something they have knowledge in. They're unwilling to go to race. Yes. And they won't go to race because that's not a part of their experience. When you're mm -hmm. the majority culture, when you're the one in power, when you're the one in control, when you're the one who's making the rules, when you're the ones who's always been elected, who's always been allowed to vote, who's always been allowed to go to school, you don't have the experience of oppression that comes from race. So you can comment on socioeconomic stuff, you can comment on poverty, but you can't comment on racial matters. And for all the people that would say, ooh, there's not institutional racism, ooh, we don't have systemic issues of oppression um, in this country, everything's equal, everything's lovely, I don't know what all the black people are complaining about, they're just looking for, like, a get-out-of-jail-free card, they're just trying to, like, create an excuse for why they haven't accomplished anything. What are you complaining about? I would say that you have no concept about what the reality is in America. If that's your viewpoint, then you are sitting in a position of privilege. Mm -hmm. And you have no awareness about how racial oppression is reality. Mm -hmm. To say to someone to pull, up, pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps, black people don't have boots. Y'all pulled yourself up by your own mm -hmm. bootstraps. We didn't even have boots. Mm. And you're sitting there looking at us like, why haven't you accomplished this? Mm -hmm. I just came back from Uganda a couple weeks ago for work. And I sat in a car and I listened to a Ugandan lecture me for two hours about how we as black people in America need to stop complaining and just start doing stuff. Because since Uganda got rid of the British, look at all of what Uganda's accomplished. And I was seething in the conversation and I didn't say anything because I would have just started yelling and then I probably would have been arrested and I didn't Kelly, have the emotional energy to have this conversation. You with hold him. your tongue. I, I, it's possible. It's very rare, but it is possible. Sometimes it does happen. Hmm. But here's the deal. To have been colonized by the British and then to have kicked the British out and have a canvas to work from mm. is one thing. Mm -hmm. To have been subjugated by white people, enslaved and oppressed, and then terrorized for another 120 years, and then be set free and forced to live coexisting, not just with the people who oppressed you, but also with the systems that they put in place to keep you oppressed, two totally different things. Mm. So he has no concept. My Ugandan friend had no, he has no reality about what I'm talking about. Right. Because the systems that were oppressive to Ugandans, they got rid of because they got rid of all the white people. Right, right, right. So right. you got a clean slate that you're starting. You can, Uganda can become whatever you want it to be. And obviously it's dealing with, there's still corruption and there's bribery and there's extortion, and there's guns and whatever. But racially... They have a clean slate that they're starting from. So don't sit here in judgment and start talking to me about what we should do mm. and how much better you are than us mm -hmm. when you don't have to still deal with the systems. Yeah, interesting. Wow, that's The fascinating. systems have stayed. And to not understand that in this country, in yeah. this day and age, the systems have stayed. 13th, you talked about that documentary. Mm -hmm. What do they say? Mm -hmm. The virus mutates. Mm. 
The virus, we don't get an antibiotic that knocks the virus out. The virus just keeps mutating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what's happening is we're still, we're still fighting the same virus. It's just mutating. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in a heated discussion online and, um, and it was, you know, it was a generation above me and it was someone who, um, was kind of using the, the bootstraps, you know, line of thought. And, um, and I, I was trying to gently explain that there are simply people who are working hard and who are not able to get ahead yes. and who are not succeeding. And so our job is to stay open and to listen and to watch and to meet people and to share our stories. But when we don't extend our circles to include other, Definitely. trying yes. to explain that different forms of oppression function differently in society, that's really hard when you don't have a person of color in your life. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you that's know? Right. And, and, then, and like we said, just the humility of, yes. of wanting to learn in the first and place. Empathy. I think, I think to put yourself in someone else's shoes to walk around in their experience to live life with them yes but then to put yourself in their situation to think about how would they respond um there's so much of what we've been taught about history and who people are you know it i i my husband had never seen braveheart which i i thought was horrendous i don't know how you can be in america and not have seen braveheart (laughs) he'd never seen it and so i made him watch it a couple weeks ago and and it, and it, there's a line in it that says, you know, history is written by the winners. Hmm. And so if that is true, wow. then I'm trying to look back at history and understand what is, what is the true narrative or what is the balanced viewpoint. And so, again, Martin Luther King, Dr. King is, is lifted up as this, he, he's, he's untouchable. He's the icon of civil rights. He is, he's amazing and he's, he was loving and he was unified and he was, you know, he wanted brothers and black and whites and holding hands and let's all sing Kumbaya. I don't know that that was really the true Dr. Martin Luther King. And I would say to you that I listen to Malcolm X a lot. And when you listen to what Malcolm says, I'm not talking about what his beliefs were his- about nation of Islam or what his beliefs were about the U.S. government or what he thought about the Kennedy brothers. I'm talking about listen to his speeches. When you listen to what Malcolm says, mm-hmm. there is truth there. Mm-hmm. But I think white people are scared mm-hmm. because Malcolm's scary. Mm-hmm. Black Panthers are scary. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole aspect of history that's been demonized and dismissed and minimized. I mean, I find it funny that like Muhammad Ali died last year, didn't he? And people are like crying and weeping and, oh, we love Muhammad Ali. You loved him, you loved him when he became palatable. Mm-hmm. You didn't love him when he was protesting the Vietnam War. Right. You didn't love him when he was talking about the rights of black people. And so I just think that there has to be a pulling back of the covers and looking at histories, stories, people's own experiences and you have to be willing to look at all yeah. this stuff to try to find balance mm-hmm. in who Dr. King was mm-hmm. and who he actually was, mm-hmm. to find that balance, mm-hmm. to live in someone else's experience, to be with people and to say, what is this actually like? You and I have talked about marriage, mm-hmm. and I, I've been married for a year and a half, so technically I still feel like I'm a newlywed, and no one told me what the reality was mm-hmm 
to be married to a black man in this country. Mm-hmm. That wasn't in an engagement book. Mm-hmm. That wasn't in any of the retreats that me and my husband went to for our engagement. Hmm. None of the people that sat with me and gave me premarital counseling or old people that we talked to about how to have a good marriage. No one told me, Kelly, at some point, you're going to start timing your husband. And, and if he's not home within that allotted period of time, your heart's going to go up and you're going to start calling or texting him. Mm-hmm. I will never forget that perspective um, that you offered. It, we, were, we were at my house and, and you were explaining, you know, just what you go through when he's late. When he's late. Or when you can't get a hold of him. Um, that there are terrifying images that come to your mind. Yes. Well, I like cereal. I'm really on this like frosted mini wheats kick. That's okay. my baby right now. Mm. I've weaned myself off of fruity pebbles. Mm. I realize I'm 36 and I still it's eat fruity pebbles. But I, yeah, I felt like it was time to break that. Well. and just kind of cut the cord. And you really, I mean, you went from fruity pebbles to mini wheats? Yeah, but it's frosted. I mean, you so could have like transitioned a little like easier. <laughs> and I really love cereal. That's like my go-to. It's my comfort food. And if I run out of milk at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, I just don't have cereal the next morning because I'm not going to ask my husband to leave my house at that hour Hmm. to go to the store to get milk. And I guarantee you that is not something that white people are thinking about. never. There is a series of steps that exist for me and my reality as a black woman married to a black man that I guarantee you, you do not go through the checklist with Seth. Right. And, and I think for people to understand that, yeah, to really understand that. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's part of the discussion that needs to happen. Um, you know, one th- you've mentioned something earlier, because uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. You say Malcolm X, and I kind of sit up straighter. Yes, everybody poops you know? their pants yeah. over Malcolm. So, so I, so I sit up straighter, and and you've got my attention. You know, yes. and so okay, but 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 I love you and I trust you, and so I okay, um, you know, it, it's that's worth exploring. Here's what, ha- and and so you share that story um, about you know, all of the sudden being too black mm-hmm. and then P wait now, 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 <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. So my, th- so what happens when we share stories is that now you're relatable to me because I have a file. Yes. I, I understand that it, yes. it, if on a tiny degree, but here's how I understand that. Um, you know, I'm passionate about cross denominational unity. Yes. I'm Catholic. Yes. People meet me. They're like, I can't believe you are Catholic. <laughs> And I'm like, I know, I raise my hands during praise and worship. It's crazy. People look at me a little funny during the hallelujah. Okay? So, and so people are, are shocked that I'm Catholic. But they love it. Yes. They love it. Yes. Because you're like one of us. Yes. But you're Catholic. Yes. Yay! I know that reality. Now, I sit down for a conversation and I want to talk about Mary. Oh, wait. Mm. You're really Catholic. Oh, yeah. And there's this disappointment, yeah. right? It's like, it's a, I love you even though you're Catholic, but don't get too Catholic on me. Right. And so what I would love, what I think our goals are, is no, you bring all your blackness. That's right. You bring all your blackness. Teach me about your blackness. And I'm going to bring all my Catholicism. There you go. <laughs> and it's just an opportunity to see things a little differently. And when you talk, I learn something new about humanity. Yes. 
And maybe when in a group of Christians, when I talk, they see God from just a little bit of a different angle. And together we can get a better, clearer, more beautiful picture. I think what you propose is the dream. I think that to do what you're proposing, Allison, requires a tremendous amount of bravery mm-hmm. and a tremendous amount of vulnerability mm-hmm. and I think time mm-hmm. and trust. And I also think, you know, again, it's just, it is, it's properly living life together mm-hmm. and it's, it's me cracking my chest mm-hmm. and me saying, because you get to sit with me in that moment. If that's what you want to do, if you're signed up for it, then in that moment when I crack my chest, you see all the rage and you feel it. Yeah. And it's not this necessarily sucks. directed at you. No. But it's directed at a system. Yeah. And you get to feel all of the pain and the tears and the stories that I could tell you about mm-hmm. things that my grandfather and my father and my brother mm-hmm. have gone through, mm-hmm. things that my husband has gone through, mm-hmm. things that I've gone through, mm-hmm. and the fear. So you must be brave to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's possible because do we're too. doing it. I do too. We're doing and, it. And I do it with other people that are like, know you know, you waking up and going, oh my God, I'm super disconnected from everything. And yeah. I'm having those conversations. It's not, it is not an impossible proposal. It's not an impossible task that yeah. you talk about, but it means that you have to be engaged and you yeah. have to be present yeah. and you have to be brave. Okay. You know, yeah. Um, well, okay. So we're out of time, but to be, let's get specific. What do we do? Because I, you know, okay, fine. Yes, I see. We're not there yet. I'm convicted. What? Okay. So, what do we do? So you need to build relationships with people that don't look like you. You need to own the fact that maybe you've been isolated or insulated, and you've chosen that. You've willingly chosen that. And you need to say to people, I mean, I I worked with a family not long ago, and they were adopting, and um, they had lived in their neighborhood for several years, and they had never reached out to their neighbors. And their neighbors happened to be of, from the country that they want to adopt from. And so, you know, we had this whole conversation, and and at one point, one of them looked at me and said, do you you think we should just go over there and try to be their friends? And, And I looked at him. And then he said, or do you think that we need to go over and kind of own the fact that we've ignored them <laughs> and they haven't been useful to us until now? Wow. And I said, you need to put on your big boy pants and go over and have that second conversation. Wow. And they okay. did. That gave me chills. But, and I'm just going to submit this to you. This is, I'm pulling this out. This is just for you. Here you go. It's a Christmas gift. I'm, I'm trying so to teach my right? husband that when, when we have conflict and we do something wrong, There is more to reconciliation than just an apology. So the first step in reconciliation is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry I left the toothpaste cap off. I'm sorry that I hit you in the middle of the night when I was snoring and rolling up. Whatever it is, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Mm -hmm. Is the second part of that. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Mm -hmm. The third part is, is there anything that I can do to make amends? I'm not laughing at you. I want to tell you what 50% of my listeners are, are singing right now in their head. <laughs> what? Saying I'm sorry is the first step. And how can I help? <laughs> Kelly, it's Daniel Tiger. Stop. You don't have kids yet. No. 
I'm not kidding. I'm like, oh my god! Can we get all the grown folks in here to watch Just this to episode of Daniel, Daniel Tiger. Tiger? That's fantastic. No, but you're so right. But and then, and then the last part is you, you. It's restitution. It's reparations. It's you actually doing whatever that act is. So here's the problem, and it ties back to what we're talking about. White people want to walk in the conversation, and maybe they want to half listen about maybe what white people have done or systemic institutionalized racism or systems of oppression or what their ancestors did. And y'all want to have that, you want to listen for like 30 seconds and then you can't handle it anymore. So then you go, la, 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 I'm sorry. Mm. And that's it. Mm -hmm. You don't ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You don't ask if there's anything you can do. Mm -hmm. And you certainly, sisters of the brotherhood of whatever, and then the black people from wherever, wherever, and we're all going to sit around and we're going to have like a council meeting. We're going to, hold hands, we're going to take a photo, we're going to cut a string, we're going to sing Kumbaya. Yeah. But I'm just saying it takes, there are steps yeah. to reconciliation. Yeah. No, I understand. And I think that we're really good about the first one and maybe the, se maybe the second one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not, a good point. It's really so good. So that's, you know, I, for all of your justice-minded, mercy-hearted listeners, mm -hmm who feel passionately and they don't, they don't know what to do. I'm like, take one step. Yeah. Build one relationship. One relationship. Have one conversation. Mm -hmm. Be brave mm -hmm. and have that one conversation. Be brave. And you know, when you're in, when you're in the bathroom by yourself because your toddlers are like outside the door and you're just trying to take care of your business by yourself, <laughs> just take your phone in there and just go to YouTube and just put on one of Malcolm's speeches. Mm. Just listen in the bathroom while okay. their little hands are under the door. Like, okay. mommy, where are you? Okay? okay. Just, that's what they can do. It's one step. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't, to expect the oppressor, to expect the victim to be what they are in that relationship, which is the victim or the oppressed, and then to have the mantle of responsibility to educate their oppressor. Right. That's too it's much. It's a tall order. That's too much, and it's unfair. Mm -hmm. So as intimidating as it might be to walk across the lunchroom and go sit with the black people, or as intimidating as it might be to go to a predominantly black church and just go for a worship service, mm -hmm. as intimidating as that might be, y'all mm -hmm. need to put your big girl pants on mm -hmm. and go do it because we are at capacity on behalf of the mm -hmm. black women in America. Yes. Let me say we are beyond, we, we are at capacity. We can't deal with white fragility. We can't deal with white <sighs> guilt. We're done. Yeah. So if you want to come be not just an ally, but an activist, mm -hmm. then come alongside us. Yeah. We're open to that. Yeah. The door's open. Yeah. And if you feel like you won't be received I think 99% of that is you in your own head. That's right. I just, I think you're so brave and I know that you're, you're inopinionated mm -hmm. and you're saying things that are going to make people uncomfortable. Yes. And They're probably angry and they won't agree with me and that's fine. They can find me on Facebook. And it, there will be a backlash. He talked about, you know, that comforts are love language and um, you're that. pulling people to really rough places and um, it's brave to do it because this is kind of a kill the messenger type of situation. Uh, you know, you're, you're in, you know, as far as having, you know, moms of toddler white Christian listeners, um, 
this might be the only voice they hear, and hopefully it's motivation to let go me, find another. Let me tell you why I'm super secure in that. This is so funny. This will make you laugh. My church, on Sunday, we had to take a spiritual gifts class. And so I took the class. Do you want to know what my top three spiritual gifts are? I'm Do you di- want to guess? I'm dying. <laughs> Do you want to know? Yes. Prophecy, discernment, and encouragement. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, the prophet would come, the man of God would come, and he would say a message normally to the king that made the king really angry, very uncomfortable, but that's what the prophet does. Mm -hmm. And I'm not declaring myself to be a prophet. One, we're under the New Testament grace, and the Holy Spirit resides in all of us. But I am saying that I exist under a prophetic mantle. Mm -hmm. And so saying what makes people uncomfortable, especially for the sake of justice... You're good. Doesn't bother me at all. (laughs) I am super secure in what God's called me to be and what he's called me to do and see. You know, one of my friends said to me years ago, she said, Kelly, you know, if if you had to be an element, what would you pick? And I said, wind, because I really love the wind. I love when it's blowing and I love hurricanes. And she said, I think you're like water. You take many forms mm. and you fit in places wow. where water's not allowed. Like you can have a locked door and the water will go underneath through the cracks. Wow. And she was like, so you, you saturate everything that you come in contact with. Oh my gosh, with. And I, I want to like, know yes, that friend. That is that's, gorgeous. That's me though. And so yeah, you know, God, God, God has raised me up for such a time as this. I appreciate having a platform to mm-hmm. share mm-hmm. and I think that this is just the beginning for me. And I realize people aren't always going to agree with what I'm saying, or they might feel uncomfortable or angry or whatever. That doesn't change the truth of what I'm saying. Right. You are bold, and you're brave, and you're opinionated, and you're wise, and you're water. (laughs) And I'm so thankful that you're in my life and that um, I have an opportunity to share you with as many people as I can. I'm so thankful. You're so gifted. Thanks. I love you, sister. Love you too. And now a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Signs Cleaning. Signs Cleaning, quality commercial cleaning that suits your company's budget. Call 979-260-3160 for a complimentary bid. Signs Cleaning, we don't cut corners, we clean them. And Nightingale Pest Solutions, providing effective, ecologically conscientious strategies that promote healthful and pleasant pest-free environments for homeowners and businesses across the Brazos Valley. Nightingale Pest Solutions, exemplary service, extraordinary care. My best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers, but that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend, evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? I knew we were onto something. This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions. Hey, Beefy. Hey, Beef. <laughs> Neither one of us are in the mood to do this right now. <laughs> So. No, <laughs> you're just, like spinning all over my car. Just it's so gross. Spit everywhere. <laughs> okay, neither one of us are in the mood to do this right now. Well, how come we're in? A, how come we don't want to do this? Maybe because I'm a little bit anxious that we're about to talk about something hard. 
Yeah. I just got finished with a speaking engagement, and I feel like my brain is done thinking of clever things. Which is ironic, since you're talking about rest. Yeah. So people ask me all the time, because they know that we're beefs, and when people have friend trouble, they're always like, well, what do you and beef do? I mean, like, when y'all, you know, when things come up, what do you do to get through it? And I always feel like such a schmuck to tell them the truth, which is that we don't argue. We don't fight. Except for that one time in fourth grade. I will never forget. How old are you in fourth grade? Like 10? 10. Something. I was sitting on the four square court and can we say people's real names on this? Is this like television? You just did. Fake? No. Is that the person's name? Yeah. Jenny? <laughs> no came over and said, here is a sequin from Allison's top. I hope you keep it safe always because this is the last thing you're ever going to have of hers. And I don't remember why we were in a fight, but Jenny people... Shit. Shut <laughs> <laughs> she just honked the horn. <laughs> we can't do this. No, keep going. Then what happened? Okay, <laughs> and then everybody was on Allison's side, and only Jamie Middleton was on my side, and I will never, ever be able to repay Jamie Middleton for being my one friend in the world for that probably day that seemed like... Do you want to know the most concerning part of the whole story? Why? I'm, you had a sequin I'm on your shirt? <laughs> Sequence. I'm wearing sequins to school. Grade. No, I was in like the puff fourth paint grade. Days, puff paint and sequins and. Okay. Anyways, would you just please not make me look like a liar in front of all these nice people that we don't fight? <laughs> if that's the only one I can think of, I think we're. We got in a fight one time in the fourth grade, and we haven't had one since. Here's my point: is that, um, and it's not like I don't have difficult friendships that don't work through things. It's not like, oh, I just, I don't fight with people. I don't know what you mean. But for whatever reason, all glory to God because Amen. we are not perfect people. Amen. You and I, there is something about our beefiness, our personality chemistry, our communication skills. We don't argue. We just don't. This is truth. It's true. So, um, I feel bad about that, but sorry, not sorry, because <laughs> it's pretty great. Don't block a blessing. Uh, ooh, I, I like you. Um, so, <laughs> you hate when I say this. Super weird. <laughs> okay. Um, do you think that us being the way that we are, fill in the blank, whatever, the way, us being the way that we are, do you think that that has ever made people feel excluded? I mean, I hope not, and I would like to say no, because we are thoughtful people, but um, I recently uh, was at something where there were two people that were, like, maybe almost as good friends as we are, and it was, it was, it was like, something intimidating about two people, being around two people that know each other so well, and it seems like, even if it wouldn't have been hard to break into their conversations and relationship when they were sitting together at this thing I was at, I was intimidated to even try because it seemed like they were having such a good time and clicking so well by themselves. Like, they're, they must be good, so they have each other, so I don't need to go try to be friends with them. Mm -hmm. Or they might not want to be friends with me because they don't need any more friends. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay, well, this episode is about racial reconciliation. And... 
as Christians, um, you know, we should be eager to be a part of the solution because there is absolutely racial injustice in our world. And, you know, a lot of times I think we, we often grow up in these racially isolated communities. Right. And so we don't always know what racial reconciliation looks like, but, I, but our friendship just kind of made me I hope it's not too far of a stretch, but like, you know, here we are doing our own thing, speaking our own language with our inside jokes, with our favorite songs, et cetera, et cetera. Comfort levels. Yeah. Familiarity. Familiarity. And how sometimes that can feel impossible to penetrate. And then I was thinking about that along racial lines as well. You know, here we want to work towards reconciliation, but in isolated communities that can feel overwhelming. And so, um... You and I actually went to to school with pretty evenly distributed percentages among races, yeah. which was neat. We didn't know any different. I don't think we realized how unique that was and how... Yeah. I don't even know if I still know how it changed me, but I know that when I went to a college that was um, racially homogenous, um, I... Um, I actually felt more like a um, minority there <laughs> because I was an I was a fin- economic minority mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and that was a big like realization for me. Is different is different is different when you feel different, um, but being around different races was something that I was much more comfortable with at that point because of the experiences that we had in school. I think. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's a question from a listener. Uh, she writes. I want to talk about race, but I find the conversations to be uncomfortable, and I find myself intimidated in them. I often feel afraid of saying something wrong. Do you have any advice? Um, my first my my first thought regarding this is that um. I think it's okay that it's hard. Like, yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's intimidating. Yes, you're afraid. So why are we so averse to things that are hard and uncomfortable and intimidating and feeling afraid? So I think that the first step is to just kind of embrace those things, like walk into the conversation having embraced those things instead of letting those things keep you from it. Right, everything... Everything new is uncomfortable at first, right? And so you yeah. just have to keep putting yourself in there and knowing that you aren't going to do it right and that you are going to unintentionally offend somebody at times, but you have to just be humble. And I always say in like every awkward situation, the best thing to say is that this is an awkward situation and yeah. I feel uncomfortable right now, like literally yeah. using those words. Yeah. And even the most... Uh, challenging person on the other side of that conversation, I think often softens to those words or at least respects the efforts. Yes. Or even, even, I mean, how humble is it to say, teach me? Right. Okay. So I just, I said something offensive and I didn't know it. Teach me, help me. 
Like we do not want to enter into a situation where we have absolutely nothing to give. But I think we need to embrace that first. Like I have nothing to offer here. I am only here to learn. I am only here to receive. And to learn to be okay with that because why would you know something about being another race? I mean, if you just boil it down to its simplest forms, like it's ridiculous to think anything otherwise. Right. I've only been white. I have only white experiences. Like right. I can be around people that look different than me and learn as much as I can from that, but um not without saying teach me. Right. Right. Okay. So I think that's good. I think that's good. I think I, I you're not gonna avoid the uncomfortable, you're not gonna avoid the intimidating, and you're not gonna avoid feeling afraid. So just say those things and include teach me. I like it. Take a risk. Take a risk. Acknowledge our differences and don't pretend to be the same. We're not. Amen. Amen. Bye, Beef. Bye, Beef. It's funny, there's a long cuss word. Oh, can I please keep your cuss word? Please. Please. But I don't think it was funny to anyone. Are we still taping? Yes. <laughs>
I walked into my meeting making a mental note of the soapbox I was about to stand on when I had a moment to comment later that afternoon. But when I went back to the post, I realized I didn't need to. Dozens of my fellow neighbors stepped up to the plate and told their Mike stories. From the basic handyman jobs he does for free, to how he is actually our best neighborhood watch, to simply, he's a nice dude that means all good and no harm. And to my surprise, the original poster, almost 10 hours later, wasn't defensive or confrontational. He said, thank you for letting me know about Mike. My wife and I introduced ourselves and he offered to make us chicken. In a time when sometimes I feel I only see complaints, self-inflicted grievances, or peer-pressured doubts of strangers' intentions in the news or social media, I loved how my neighborhood had one of her owns back. As quiet as he is, and how he probably doesn't even own a computer, Mike has no idea that anything was even posted. But I hope he does notice that instead of curious looks and sideways glances, as he wanders along on his day-long walks, he gets more smiles and waves because he is now a neighborhood celebrity. Normally, in this part of the episode, I highlight a writing from Bryan Federal Prison Camp. This time, however, I'm going to highlight two writings from Bryan Federal Prison Camp, one from a black inmate and one from a white inmate. I'd like to let Kelly address them both. That will happen in the mini episode. I hope you can check it out. Dear God, your word tells us that nothing done is not known by you, and you are perfectly just. Please shape our hearts so that they look like yours, so that they love justice. Search them and know them, and make us aware of the false ways you might find. Humble us, Lord. We need humility to be able to listen to what our brothers and sisters tell us is true. Renew our minds, soften our hearts, wake us up. God, please help those who need help and strengthen those who need strengthened. Help us all to remember that it is a gracious thing to be persecuted when we are righteous. Help us to cling to your truth and sovereignty. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And
And for this episode, a special thank you to Science Cleaning, Jennifer of Nightingale Pest Solutions, Kelly Bruce Holly, Van Holly, Kristen Kelly, Lubel Cruz Gaelic, Brian Federal Prison Camp, Pamela Anthony Cutright, and Chan Redfield for music.